Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And this is, of course, the Boomer and the Babe Show. It is Thursday, November 22nd. Thanksgiving Day 2012, and we hope that everybody is planning to have uh, a great Thanksgiving with family and friends, and we hope that everybody has something that they can give thanks for, if nothing more than living in this great country and this great land. Uh, Hopefully, uh, if nothing else, that would be sufficient for everybody to to be thankful that we're free and where we are. So with that said, uh, we'll welcome everybody to the Boomer and the Babe show again. I invite you to go to boomerandthebabe.com, which is our uh, which is our website. Uh, sign up if you would for our, to be on our mailing list, and you will be getting Boomer Experience Speaks online magazine every four to six weeks in your inbox. Absolutely no uh, no charge for that. Please uh, go ahead and avail yourself of that. And if there's anything else on that website that the Boomer and the Babe might be able to help you with, like publishing your mini book or your ebook or any book for that matter, uh, get a hold of us. Deborah takes care of that. Deborah's not with us today. She's off taking care of some other things on Thanksgiving Day, as a matter of fact. So uh, we're going to be without her again. Uh, but nonetheless, she'll be back in the fold here in just a matter of an hour, an hour and a half. She should be back, but she is going to be missing the show. Uh, I guess today is uh, a solo traveler. She's uh, uh, apparently an expert in this because she's been doing it for a while and she loves to do it. She is Janice Holly Booth. Janice, welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're with me today on Thanksgiving. We can celebrate this together for a little while anyhow. Um, how was it that you uh, became a solo traveler? Uh, better yet, let's go back a little further than that. If Deborah were a were here today, she would ask you for your two-minute movie, which is a nice, different way of saying we need your bio. What have you been up to right. before you before you came a, became a traveler? Well, I actually was born in Canada, in uh, British Columbia, and um, moved to the United States in '85, and quickly. Um, Took up a career in nonprofit management, and I've been a nonprofit CEO for the last 20 plus years. Um, and we'll talk about the solo travel part that that came out of that. But I'm also an author. Um, National Geographic published a book about solo travel that I wrote last year called "Only Pack What You Can Carry," and um, also a photographer and a speaker. Well, it uh, sounds pretty well-rounded to me. When do you have time to sleep? <laughs> Any time of the day. <laughs> if I have ten minutes, I can close my eyes and fall right to sleep. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And, of course, whenever you're on a plane to anywhere, I would imagine, as well. Uh, right, as long as somebody isn't trying to talk to me, which uh, uh, tends know. to be my lot. It, it, you know what? As a as a traveler, and this might be kind of interesting. As a an experienced and an expert traveler, it seems that maybe what you should do is invent some sort of a little partition that goes between you and your seatmate, and on it says just like it says on the door of a of a hotel room, "Do not disturb." That's just that just encourages the more. <laughs> 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 I've literally I've literally had people say, Well, why don't you want to talk or do you really want to sleep now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I think would really work when you start nodding your head and you get into you get so deep into into sleep that you're in drool state. And yeah. You know, you, <laughs> that, 
get into the drool state, Matt, and, and start twitching a little bit, and that. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> with any luck, they'll ask to be moved to a different seat. Yes, exactly, exactly. So let's let's get into the travel aspect. Well, let's first of all, I didn't realize, fully realize, that you were a nonprofit uh, executive. Uh, what nonprofit are you, or have you been affiliated with? Well, uh, my my first one uh, that I ran as a CEO was part of a national organization called Young Audiences, which is an arts and education organization, and I was in charge of the Western New York chapter of that. And um, I like to say I did 13 years hard time in Buffalo, but um, I was in Buffalo at the time and got to the point where the winters were just too too much yes. for a Southern Canadian, just too much. And Although I really loved my job, I had to get to somewhere warmer. And as luck would have it, the Girl Scouts were recruiting for um, a new CEO in, in a couple of places. And long story short, I, I landed the job um, just outside of Charlotte to run uh, a very good Girl Scout council. And I did that for 12 years. Wow. Um, retired from that in... Uh, 2009, I believe, and then took took some time off, and then took another CEO position for a local nonprofit that makes sure kids living in poverty come to school with all the school supplies they need. And that was a wonderful job. But simultaneous with that, my book was being published, and when that came out, all kinds of things started happening, and I was getting offers to speak in Europe and and so on and so forth, and it just became too difficult to juggle everything. So I took the leap, literally, and retired from corporate life, and now I'm, uh, as I said, I'm a full-time author and speaker. Uh, it's interesting in your in your your stint through the nonprofit business, uh, you mentioned you were involved in Girl Scouts. My six-year-old granddaughter just became a daisy. Yay! Uh, within the last thirty days, she's now in a Daisy troop, so she's all excited about that. And call Grandpa and Well, I hope she'll stick with it because um, the Girl Scout organization provides so many unbelievable opportunities for girls to develop their personal leadership, and um, and I think you've got some good counsels there in Arizona. So encourage her to stick with it. I will do that. I'll absolutely do that. And I'll tell her that today that I, I talked to a lady that used to be a Girl Scout leader, a real, yeah. a big-time Girl Scout leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your speaking and so on and so forth. It sounds like mm-hmm. you said you you left the corporate world, and there's a there's some people uh, that we know that are involved in helping people get their business started, get their business off the ground. Uh, it's called the Lucky Napkin Group, and uh, they say that many of your best ideas are written on the back of your Lucky Napkin as you're sitting there having a drink in the bar. And uh, they take that Lucky Napkin, that big idea, if you will, sort of like the Donnie Deutsch big idea thing, and uh, and you go with it uh, because it has basically presented itself, at least in your mind, and uh, you start to develop it. So, uh, And they have a saying, which is, leap and the net will appear. Sounds like kind of that's what you did. Uh, right, to a certain extent. I haven't hit the net yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still falling. Oh, no. no. Um, uh, and, and what's interesting, Pete, and we'll, we'll kind of loop back to this, It, to, you know, going out on your own in this day and age, in this economy, it's really a very scary proposition, mm-hmm. uh, especially as an artist and a, and a speaker, there are a million speakers out there. But I, I realized that when I was happiest was when I was talking to people about overcoming fear and finding that voice that they had buried so long ago and, and rediscovering their dream. And, and I, I would see the reaction in people, and I would feel the reaction in myself, and I knew this is what really filled me up. This is what lit a fire under me every morning. And I'd been doing the nonprofit stuff for more than 20 years, and I was, you know, I had great jobs, but it wasn't lighting my fire the same way. And it was 
through some of the very, very terrifying adventures that I'd had traveling alone that I think I was able to summon the courage to take that leap. Um, and not knowing whether the net would appear or not, it just absolutely became immaterial because I was at a point in my life I wanted to do what I wanted to do and <clears throat> just went ahead and did it. Well, I I, I think that's um, that's the way it is with many baby boomers uh, that we're like that. I mean, we just say, you know, enough is, en- enough, is enough and I've had enough. And uh, they say, "I'm going to now. It's going to be about me." Right. And and they and they take that leap. Uh, hopefully, then that does appear for them. Uh, some of them are better prepared than others. Some of them prepare better than others. Uh, so it's it's a matter of degree as to how soon or if the success will come. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that. That taking that leap, that leap of faith, mm-hmm. if you will, is is the is the biggest step, and uh, and I think that's pretty uh, pretty much universal, even in this tough economy, because so many people uh, have no other options, because mm-hmm. there have been things that the net, the, the what was the stable ground, has been pulled from underneath them. Right, and, and I think you're you're absolutely right, Pete. And I think another um, interesting thing about uh, shaking up your life at this age is really looking at what your own definition of success is. Uh-huh. And, and um, you know, you and I grew up at the same time where, where success, in quotes, meant a house, a car, a good job, a good income, being able to buy things, accumulate stuff, you know. And now we get to we get to challenge that um yes. that definition yes. of success and and believe me other than having a roof over my head and and reliable wheels to get me from point A to point B all that other stuff doesn't matter anymore you know um particularly the accumulation of of stuff but but it is fun to kind of sit down and really think about what what does success mean to me uh-huh. and um and very often it isn't about making a lot of money anymore. Well, I would agree with that. Because uh, Lord knows if I was all about making a lot of money right now, I wouldn't <laughs> be doing what I'm doing either. But I sure as heck do, I sure as heck do enjoy it, and I do love doing right. it. You know, and, and sometimes we, Deborah and I look at each other and we say, what are we doing this for? Well, we must love it because we've been doing yeah. it for a while. You know, could we go do something else or try to do something else? Well, absolutely. Are we always looking for streams of income that will attach to what we're doing? Absolutely. Uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, she is taking on the publishing aspect of what we do and, and helping people write their books and, and so on is because that's where the stream of income is. But nonetheless, it's all part of the brand of the Boomer and the Babe, and we're forwarding that brand. And that's we can shake our heads and say, boy, we've been doing this a long time, and we're not making a lot of money at this. But you know what? We are enjoying it. Right. Right. And, I, that, and, and that really is the criteria in many cases, isn't it? It is, especially when you get to the point in life where you realize it's either now or never, mm-hmm. literally. It's now yes. or never. You, you know, you take that leap now, or you're going to be sitting on your deathbed looking back, thinking, "God, I wish I had. I wish I'd gone for it." Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know, I I, ne- I never want to find myself in that position where I'm looking back with regret. Uh, and so much of what happened to me in my solo travels came down to that thought because I would, uh, and you know, I, I know we'll get into it, but I would challenge myself with these really physically frightening things and I would back away until I finally got to the point where I said, you know, you're going to look back on this and you're going to be so sorry that you got right to the edge mm-hmm. and you couldn't take that step. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're going to regret it so much and um and that well, that helped me really shift my mindset. Well, it's kind the of like thing- I was just going to say, it's kind of like that Frank Sinatra song, you know. Uh, regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Uh, right. And if you can look at it that way and be sincere in that, 
that I, I, is that part of the, one of those one of the uh, one of the lyrics for my way? I don't I don't know, but I don't remember. I just remember that itself. Right. Uh, and if and if you can if you can do that if you're living like that, that's okay. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think regret is one of the the the, the most pitiful human emotions because. It implies that we had and we had the chance to do something about it, right? And we didn't, right. you know. Um, so I never wanted to be that person who looked back and was sad. Uh, and and as a result, you know, I've I've learned a lot about myself through mm-hmm. traveling by myself. I learned what I can do and what I can't do, and I can't do everything, but that's okay. I know my limits, and I also, but I also know that. Um, when it really comes down to it now, and I'm standing on that edge, I will take the step. Well, yes, and, and it's a question that it sounds sounds to me as though it's a case of you don't settle. In other words, you you don't settle for something that you're not going to be happy with. Not anymore. I mean, we've all had to do that, and yes. there's a time and a place in life, especially when you have obligations to children and family and, and partners and that kind of thing, Um Every, you know, life is a compromise, but when you get to the point where um, you don't you don't answer to those uh, situations anymore, you don't have to settle. And you're yeah. right; it does become all about you, the person, and how you're going to define the rest of your living. Uh huh. Yes, absolutely. So, what was it that absolutely? What was the first time that you got involved in in the solo travel, or what was it that prompted you to get involved in solo travel at the onset? Well, my you mean my first tussle with insanity? Yeah, um, that's the one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I was um, I was the CEO of the Girl Scouts at the time, and this is important because it played a role in my decision to go forward. But I had, when I was 17 years old living in Canada, I saw a picture of a slot canyon. And for any listeners who don't know what a slot canyon is, that's the place where Aaron Ralston got trapped and had to cut his arm off to get free. Okay. Um, so I saw a picture of one of these things. I thought it was so, just so beautiful and amazing and and vowed to one day see one with my own eyes. And fast forward 20 years. I, the Girl Scouts send me out to Utah for a conference, and immediately that picture popped back into my mind, and I thought, oh, yay, I'll go, I'll go out four days early, and I'll, I'll go into the slot canyons, and there'll be all these people who want to go with me. I'll have to, you know, I'll have to do a lottery or I'll have to buy tickets or whatever. And, you know, that's how I ended up traveling alone, because not only would nobody go with me, everyone tried to talk me out of it. And this is well before Aaron's um, situation, but they said, you know, you're nuts, you're, you don't know what you're doing, it's too dangerous, you're too old, you're, you're crazy. And so they were, they were just so unrelenting in their warnings, I began to wonder if maybe they were right and maybe they were seeing something I wasn't. So I actually convinced myself that it would be the right thing to do to cancel the trip. And plus, I didn't really want to travel alone. So I'll never forget, Pete, I'm sitting in my office at the Girl Scouts, and I'm, I'm pressing the numbers on the phone, you know, to cancel. I got down to the last number, and I thought, you are in charge of an organization that is supposed to inspire girls with courage. If you cancel this trip because you're afraid, then you're the biggest hypocrite alive. So I hung up the phone, I went on the trip by myself, and it completely changed my life. How was it that it changed your life? What was it What was it that you had the aha because you were on this trip by yourself? It was um, strangely in very, very spiritual um, in a way I had not anticipated. And by that I mean I just... I had all of this silence and quiet and aloneness inside this huge landscape that was completely otherworldly and breathtaking. I had a lot of time alone in there, and 
And so whether it was the place that spoke to me or whether it was that I had been ignoring my spiritual side and it finally had a chance to come to the surface, I don't know. But it, but that feeling of of being connected to myself, being connected to the earth, being connected to everything was so powerful. That was number one. The other was I was experiencing every new um, visual, every new physical situation, everything that was new I was experiencing on my own timetable and on my own terms, and I didn't have to pull myself out of the experience to turn to somebody and say, isn't that a beautiful sunset? Or, wow, look at that, that towering mountain of sandstone. It was, all, it was all me. It was all internal. And it was just so rewarding. Um, and plus, that was the first experience I had in stepping through fear. It wouldn't be the last. And it wouldn't even be the most dramatic but, you know, there was that initial fear of going by myself and taking that first step was so empowering. It, and and it, it, it opened the door into a completely new world, one that I hadn't anticipated. And I became addicted to traveling by myself and thus began 15 years of it, every single one of those trips changing me somehow as a person. And that's, that's what I wrote about in my book called uh, Only Pack What You Can Carry – that, um, as I mentioned earlier, National Geographic published last year, I really talk about um, that aspect of it along with some other things that I know we're going to discuss later. The, the, uh, the fact that only pack what you can carry, uh, that may not only mean physically packing uh, goods, clothing, whatever, uh, that you can use while you're on a trip, but it also may be uh, uh, a, 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 a bit of a key as to some other things that you uh, probably believe uh, with regard to your own personal self. Only, only pack what you can carry. Right, right. And and for anybody out there who is going to go buy the book because they want to know what to put in their suitcase, I just want to just want to let everybody know it's not a packing list. Um, you know, the best advice I can give you on that is to take half the clothes and twice the money. Mm -hmm. But only pack what you can carry really is a metaphor about life, about shedding our excess baggage and getting rid of the stuff that holds us back, that makes our journey through life more difficult. You know, really learning how to travel lightly in our hearts and and truly in our minds, you know, just decluttering all of that. So that life's journey is more enjoyable and amazing. Well, when it gets right down to it, we're all traveling through life, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We're all yes, travelers. Yes, we are. We're all travelers at some level. Uh, right. Whether, whether we're traveling quickly, slowly, taking meanderings here and there, whatever, but we're all traveling through life from the beginning to the end. There's Absolutely. Traveling. Absolutely is right. I do believe that. Uh, now, what else, uh, you know, there are, You've noted here in some things that you sent me that there are four key essentials uh, as far as traveling alone. Why don't we touch on those, and then we'll get into maybe a little more of this, uh, this, the meaning of life stuff that we, uh, I think, are implied in your book. So right. talk, talk about those essentials. Well, sure. Um, interestingly, I, I hadn't planned on writing a book about any of this, um, but I did keep, and I did, and I do keep really detailed journals about all of my travels. That's another benefit of of going by yourself. You can spend three hours writing in your journal at the end of the day if you want. But I noticed, you know, when I go would go back and and look at my journals, I noticed that with each trip, my perspective on life was changing. My outlook was morphing into something different, and I didn't know what that was, and I didn't know why it was happening until I did start writing the book. And I I noticed that with each chapter, each chapter was trying to veer off into a direction that it was kind of creating for itself, but it was always in one of four directions. 
And after I had finished the book and laid out all my chapters, I had this huge aha. And I realized, looking at those chapters grouped into four um, categories, that what I had discovered all those years of traveling alone were four key essentials to life's journey. And they are these. Solitude, introspection, courage, and commitment. And I realized that that, those four things represented a recipe for living that I could apply to my life for the rest of my life, but so could other people. It was a way and is a way to kind of create a personal compass so that we always know where we've been, where we are, and where we need to go. Um, And I can can go more deeply into each of those four keys, if you like, Um, well, let's talk. Let's, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, certainly the the first two, solitude for one. I, I know as an example that Deborah likes to have time to herself, just mm-hmm. her, her and her books or a book, and or her and just reading and looking up things on on the computer and the internet and so on. Mm-hmm. This she likes to have. That's some solitude. Uh, I know, for instance, that I like to have solitude, and then my, I find my solitude, frankly, when I'm out on a golf course. And I can be right. playing. I can be playing in a group with three other people and still have my own solitude. Believe that. I don't right. I believe that or not, but I mean, I can just be into my own head and still be perfectly cordial and and having fun with everybody else. But nonetheless, my solitude is what's going on in my head when I'm not talking to them. And I can carry right. that. Over, I can carry that over four four and a half hours around the golf. That's so, good. So let's let's talk a little bit about solitude. What is it? Uh, how is it that you find your solitude? Well, and I want I want to clarify that the solitude I'm referring to here is is part of that recipe. So it's going to take a slightly different tack than maybe um, listeners might you know be thinking about. But solitude is, uh, I think, typically something we never give ourselves enough of, um, and many people don't like to be alone. In fact, our society uses solitude, um, views solitude and uses it as punishment or deprivation. I mean, you think about solitary confinement in prison or time out in your room or um, you remember, Pete, when you and I were were growing up, like the very worst thing that could happen to a woman is that she'd live out her life as a spinster, right? (laughs) Alone. Yes. An old maid. yeah, an old maid, right. So there's there's this um, kind of stigma around solitude. But in this case, what I discovered while traveling alone, and remember when I started there weren't cell phones, and, and even when there were, they didn't work in the places that, where I went. So, I mean, I would be utterly alone for very, very long periods of time. Uh, and And... I was able to use that unfettered time where I wasn't listening to music, where I wasn't talking to people, where I wasn't checking my cell phone or playing around on the Internet. I was able to use that that peaceful, quiet time to create a space to allow me to really think deeply about where I wanted my life to go. And that's where the introspection piece comes in. Mm-hmm. And, you know... There are a lot of people who are listening to this right now who think, you know, their life is great. They have a really perfectly nice life. There's nothing wrong with it. But my question is always, is this the life you were born to lead? And how do you know if you haven't spent a lot of time really thinking deeply about things in that place where you tell the truth? And... You know, I have found in terms of introspection there there are many levels. And the first level is the kind of the easy level. Okay, well, you know, yes, I, I want this, I want that, I, I, I want... And I've gotten all of that, so I'm okay, I don't need to go any further. But you, the, the more you dig and the more you're quiet and you let that voice um, come up and, and talk to you, the more you discover, I mean... I really thought that 
I, my CEO career was that was it. You know that that's what I wanted, and I was good at it, and I was fulfilled. But that little voice kept. You know, I could always feel it just scratching at me on these long solo journeys that I would take, and um, and listening to it, really listening to it, and carving out space for it eventually brought me to the place where I'm at now. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I did that. But it, the, the deep kind of introspection that I think everybody needs to engage in will only come as a result of unfettered solitude. And the good news about this is that both of these things are free. You don't have to buy anything. And you can start right now. I mean, you, you have complete control over whether you apply these two things to your life or not. That is very, very true. And I and I was just sitting here listening to your explanation of it, and it is it's very uh, it's very settling to hear you say it because uh, it it gives anybody, even like myself, as I'm listening to you, the opportunity to start a little bit of that realization. Uh, mm-hmm. That you're talking that you're talking about, and, right? And I can honestly say that uh, in my I have had these times of introspection, and mm-hmm. I've looked at it, and it may be the case, frankly, where you don't always like what you introspect, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and and you have maybe it'll bring on what you feel is a need for change or. Uh, or whether or not you're going to, as we said earlier, settle. And all of that introspection puts a lot of things in perspective, doesn't it? It does. And I have a very simple exercise for anybody who wants to get started with this. And it's, it's something we all know how to do. And get a piece of paper, draw a line down the center, and you make two lists. On one side, you list what you want, and on the other side, you list what you don't want. And at the beginning, it'll be very easy. Like, um, I'll just talk about when I made my list many, many years ago. What I wanted, I wanted more sleep. (laughs) I wanted, um, you know, better fitness. I wanted to drink more water. I mean, it was all these silly little things. But once I exhausted those, and this is what I talk about when I talk about the levels, um, I kind of went over to the what I don't want list, and after the the usual, so you know, I, I don't want any, I don't want drama in my life. I don't want toxic people around me. Blah blah blah. I got to more fundamental things like I don't want to push people away anymore. So you know, when something like that comes, that's like, whoa, where did that come from? Right. And then I would take that question with me, and my, you know, in my solitude time, okay, why are you pushing people away? And thinking about that one question took me back to an old script that my parents had written for me when I was a child when, you know, they told me that you can't trust people because um, people are always trying to get something from you. You know, you have to look at people with great suspicion, and that was something I'd carried with me for my whole life, uh, you know, not, not even knowing it. And so as I, I wrote my my list, my what do I want and what do I don't what I don't want list, I was just amazed at what was coming to the surface. And then it gave that gave me a place to start addressing those things that I didn't like about myself. And um you know, it it, it I think it was one of the greatest gifts I ever gave myself. And I'm not saying that it was these things were easy to fix or that they happened quickly, but they happened. And right. they wouldn't have if I hadn't carved out that time and really, really thought about where I wanted my life to go, what I wanted and what I didn't want. It's a powerful exercise, very simple but really profound. Uh, when you were mentioning that uh, the, the script that you had uh, been given as a as a young person, uh, I was thinking to myself, you know what? Uh, she and I are of the baby boom generation because I was given a similar script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not their fault. I mean, that's that's 
that's what they believed. I mean, the, for whatever their reasons were, that was, and I, I don't know, it may, it may have been the fact that uh, there were some depression times involved, and, you know, th- things like that that that's going to get taken away from you. Absolutely. Uh, and it's and it's probably on 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 a good basis, but uh, or basis in fact in many cases. But nonetheless, uh, if that's what they were saying, and I still hear it from my 89 year old mother who's racked with dementia today. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is somebody's out to get her. I'm out to mm-hmm. get her. I'm out to get her money. I'm out to get her money. I'm out. You know, and and there was somebody that helped to take her ants farm away from them and I've heard that story and it's just like my gosh let it alone you know right that was that was before I was born now that's 65 years ago come on leave it be but you know that is that is such a great example of how we hold on to things the baggage that we carry right the stuff that we pack in our suitcase that we that we need to shed that we need to just leave on the road and go forward but mm-hmm. you know and your mom's your mom's story is is an extreme example of that but don't we all do it to a certain extent you know sure. don't we harbor these resentments and these blames and these um even kind of the 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 self deprecating um negative thoughts about ourselves don't we carry all that around with us far too long well, yeah, I mean, we we do, and, and I mean, you know, and I, and I say it all the time, and I say it in jest, but I say it, so therefore there must be some basis in fact that I that I believe it. Somebody says, "Hey, Pete, how you doing today?" And I say, "Hey, not bad for a fat bald guy." <laughs> <laughs> now, sure, it, it's funny, <laughs> but if I were thinking of fat bald people as being less than tall, dark, and handsome people. Um, that's pretty self-deprecating. <laughs> no, it just means you love yourself. Oh yeah, well, you know what the heck? Not everybody's got a shiny head like me. Uh, <laughs> but it, but but that's a you know that that's a, a bit of a trite example of what I'm talking about. But I, but I, but I think it it kind of gets the point across. Uh, it well, but, it does, and and you know how many out there who are listening have never said, oh. You know, I'd really love to be, let me pick something, a concert violinist, but it's too late. Mm-hmm. It's too late. I can't do it. Never We've all said that. And that's, you know, that's nonsense. It's not too late. Mm-hmm. It is not too late. Now, you may not be able to become a world-renowned concert violinist at this point, but you can you can still go at it with every fiber of your being and love every moment of it and see where it takes you. And there may be some little concert somewhere that you play in. Mm-hmm. You know, some little orchestra that is giving a concert, and you're part of the orchestra, so therefore you right. can say that I am a concert violinist. I right. am a, I, I, have, I am a uh, symphonic performer. I have played an instrument in a symphony orchestra. Right. Back, back in the day when I was... Junior and or a sophomore in high school, but nonetheless, it was an all-star orchestra, and I played in it. I was good. I was very, very good. Now, why am I not playing it? That's another story <laughs> to this day. But you know, what the heck? I still think of it, and I and I don't know that I'd want to play that instrument anymore. But I know I've got some musical background, so therefore, maybe I should try playing the piano. You know. Well, and and this actually ties into the third key essential, which is courage. Uh-huh. And um, in my case, I really had to overcome some tremendous physical fears. Uh, when I finally got out to Utah that, that one trip and tried to go into the Slot Canyon, I, I, looked down, I stood on the edge of it and looked down and realized I wasn't going to be able to get in there without a harness and a rope, and I'm afraid of heights and afraid of the edge, and it was just so frightening I didn't go. But I went back 13 times. It took me 13 more tries before I finally was able to do it. Mm. And I'll never forget the first time I had to step off of terra firma into 
you know, the blackness of nothing. I didn't know how deep the canyon was or anything. I had a guide. I do, I do want to say that. I, I didn't do this alone. I had a guide. And he was very patient because it took me forever to take that first step. But fear was holding, fear was actually almost crushing the life out of me. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see. I could barely stand. My knees were knocking so hard. I thought I was going to expire on the spot. And this this little voice in my head said, all you have to do is take one step. Just take one. And I did. And the minute I took that step, and this is, this is the God's truth, the minute I took that step, the fear went away. I mean, uh-huh. it was gone. And I thought, God, is that all it takes? Is that all it takes when fear is beating you to the ground is to just take that first step? And I have since tested myself over and over again. I I went to try to learn how to do the flying trapeze, and and sure enough, scared out of my mind. But it it took that first step, and then I was fine. I've gone back to the canyon nine times, and every time, you know, I want to pee my pants. I take that first step, and I'm good to go. And so conquering, now I don't want to say conquer because I still have the fear, but but navigating that fear translated into other parts of my life. And so, you know, it, for me, it was important to do these physical things. For other people, it will be something different. But I absolutely think it's imperative as human beings who wish to grow that we take ourselves to the edge, whatever that edge may be, and then push ourselves just a little further than we think we can go. And and the um, the growth that comes with that is incredible. And the payoff that comes when you're faced with a frightening situation or you're faced with a life change or you're faced with that choice of, you know, do I want to go and study violin or play the piano, um, everything that's brought you to that moment will allow you to say yes. Uh-huh. Because you'll know then it just takes one step. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. Well, I I I know as on some level what you're talking about. I mean, I've had a situation where uh, I've been trying to avoid a medical a medical um, uh, a medical problem that I'm not avoiding it. I can't avoid it, but I mean, I'm, I'm trying to deal with it, and it has beat me down a little bit as far as energy and stamina. And I'm trying to get myself back, and I. And I haven't played golf, and I haven't gone out to do some of the things that I'd like to do for that reason, because I just haven't felt up to it. But I knew that if I really put my mind to it, I probably still could. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. I said, you know what, I'm going to the driving range, and I'm going to hit a bucket of balls, and I'm going to test it, and I'm going to see if what I'm doing to try to get myself back is working. And lo and behold, I found out it's starting to work. Yeah. And and uh, we had a situation in, in our household where we just lost a, a very dear pet that we'd had for 10 years. We had to put her down, and it destroyed, Deborah just totally destroyed her to put that dog down. And uh, within a week, we had another dog, same breed, another female, and that dog is now taking me for a walk every morning. Every <laughs> morning, like clockwork, she takes me for a walk. And I tell you what, and she's going to start taking me for a walk in the afternoons because I allow it. And right. uh, and I have uh, I have decided that this really is working. My efforts are working. So uh it is uh it is that uh, introspection that made me help me find it. it is the courage to do it and take the step. And now the last one I can see on the sheet that you sent me is commitment and now I am mm-hmm. committed I am committed to do it. Right. Right. And these four keys just flow so beautifully they from do. one to the next. Um, and, but it all starts with that solitude. But um, the commitment piece is exactly what you mentioned. It's also, in this context, um, making a commitment to always building in those first three keys uh, into our lives for the whole of our lives. Um, because, honestly, it I think it's important to kind of check in with ourselves, you know, whether it's as we turn a year older or every decade older. Um, 
since we are on a journey, you know, we're never going to be in the same place day after day, certainly decade after decade. But this little formula of solitude, introspection, courage, and commitment can um, can give you a, a, a real ability to kind of figure out where you are instead of just sort of, um, you know, mindlessly wondering what's, you know, what's bugging you at the moment. It's almost like putting together your business plan, mm-hmm. your life's plan. Uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned just yesterday with a, on a with a call, uh, a guest on, on the phone that we had, uh, there's a gentleman that writes a book and, and does a show called Success or Failure, The Choice is Yours. And he's a big proponent of a business plan for life and for business. And these four things that you mentioned are in one way, shape, or form appearing in his his whole synopsis of, of mm-hmm. what he of what he says people should be doing. So it's uh, it, it's it's very very useful. It, it's it's very very positive, and mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I think it's great that you came to it the way you did because that is, even adds a little bit more. Uh, pizzazz to it, if you will, for lack right. of a, you know, and it it, it really becomes a, a true self-realization that way. Yeah, and um, and you know, very often people will say to me, I I can't find the time for the solitude, and there are multiple ways to do that. But for me, the solo travel kind of knocked everything out in one fell swoop. You know, I was I'd go off for one or two weeks, so. There's the solitude, had all that time for introspection, and then it was just up to me to find an opportunity to scare the daylights out of myself doing something, whether it was canyoneering or trapezing or paragliding or whatever. Um, And so, you know, I would do this once or twice a year, and that was the commitment I made to myself, that at least once a year I would find something to test my courage and therefore grow my courage because I truly believe that courage is a muscle. And like any other muscle in the body, it has to be exercised in order to be capable of doing the heavy lifting when life calls upon us to be brave. And so for me, you know, doing the solo travel was was the perfect way to um, apply these four key essentials. And I recognize that not everybody can do it. You know, not everybody's able to travel or, or wants to travel, but um, they can certainly take those four keys and apply them to their life. And whatever their situation is, even if they're not risk takers, they can figure out a way to push themselves to the edge. Right, right. It, it, it's, uh, it really is, uh, oh, I, I guess it's, it's a, almost becomes a way of life, doesn't it? That this, mm-hmm. is, this is the way I do it. This is right. me, and right. uh, and uh, and this is uh, you accept it, and then before you know it, people around you that know you and love you start to accept it as well. That's and the they start it. doing it too. You know, one of the things that has been so humbling to me since the book came out is I get letters from people, and interestingly enough. Uh, many of my letters are from men. Um, this book is not a book for women. It's a book for people. And um, most of my my um, messages come from men. But central to all of these, these letters is, you know, I was lost, and your book helped me find a way to get started again. And over and over and over I heard that. And I have friends, too, who you know, have said to me, well, I've seen you do enough of these crazy things, it's time for me to get out there, too. And I I just think that is, I'm so inspired that that people are doing this, Um, that it, I just think it's imperative we, we not only do it for ourselves, but we need to recognize that we just, just, by the fact that we're doing it, we may inspire somebody else to take the steps that they need to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's huge. I mean, in many in many respects, that's more meaningful 
than the thing we've done for ourselves, knowing that we've impacted somebody else's life. Well, yes, I, I I think that's absolutely true. I mean, how many how many people say that I do what I do because I know it's important, but if I could change just one life? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, that's something that is repeated uh, almost ad nauseum. You know, I just mm-hmm. hope to be able to I hope to be able to change one life that I can affect one life in a positive way, and mm-hmm. uh, and and so many people say that. And you wonder how often they really mean that, but I I do believe that they say it and they do mean it. And if they've had the good fortune of seeing that happen, it's very fulfilling. Yes, it it, it it's it really kind of indescribable. But but as I said earlier, I mean I just feel humbled by it. You know, it's mm. it's um. Uh, words escape me, but I'll never forget the first letter I got. It was a very long, very heartfelt letter from a man who um, was just really lost and really, really struggling. And, um, you know, for for a a complete stranger to pour their heart out like that, that was, you know, that was humbling to me, that he was trusting me with his deepest feelings. And then and then for him to say, you know, I I I know what I'm going to do now, and and thank you, like, wow. <laughs> well, you know, and, and and I don't know that you would have really readily taken on that responsibility had you known it. Right. Is that, is that correct for me to assume that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. This was sort of an unanticipated, um, unanticipated uh, result of of you know, the book, and I just thought, well, you know, I might encourage some people to step outside of the place where they're comfortable, and that was my goal. You know, I really thought it would speak to people who just needed a little extra nudge, not um, folks who were really struggling with some very, very, or at some very critical life junctures. So... um, you know, it's interesting. You you send you know you write your book. You think it's about one thing. You send it out into the world. It's kind of like having a kid, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. You think your kid's going to be an accountant, and then he goes off and 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 uh, you know runs a monastery somewhere. But that's um, a being a sherpa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's all good, you know. But um, that's it. Certainly was completely un. That was unexpected. Beautiful, unexpected result, but not anticipated. Well, what I was going to say, um, Pete, is, and that's kind of what happens when you travel alone. You know, you think it's going to be one way, mm-hmm. and then it ends up being something different. And in most cases, in many cases, it's far better and far different and far more resonant than you could ever have imagined. Now, sometimes things go wrong. But usually in those situations you learn a little about yourself too. But um but that is part of the beauty of, of going out there and and hitting the road by yourself. You just don't know what's going to happen, but it's always amazing and in many cases life changing. Well, it uh it, it sounds as though it's never dull also. It's never dull. <laughs> <laughs> it is never dull. Especially if you take too much baggage and you have to ma- manage it on your own. Oh, there you go. <laughs> physically, yeah. physically and emotionally. Right, right. Well, I used to be the classic overpacker, and there's a there's a um, one of the chapters in in the book is um, talks about you know this ridiculous amount of stuff that I would bring and how how hard it was to tote that around and just the logistics of of dealing with that and. Um, and I, you know, it, it finally cured me, but it sure took a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three, three, three bags is is a bit much, is it? <laughs> yeah, three big bags. One of which was the size and color of a life raft. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I, I could just imagine you slipping that through an airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, the yellow color was particularly good for 
um, being low key and you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> flying under the radar. Yeah, nobody was noticing the. Nobody was noticing woman. Your, yeah, a woman alone. <laughs> flash, flash, flash. Woman alone. Woman. Alone. Did you have neon lights assigned and arrows pointing to yourself too? I did. I did. I I couldn't carry those around either. I finally gave those up. Well, I tell you, that goes. That speaks to your courage. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, well, Janice, I tell you, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and my gosh, we've blown through this hour. We're down to the short rows, as they say in the country, for on, on the farms, and and uh, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to give your shameless self promotion about anything that you want with regard to people getting hold of you, how they can get you contact you as a speaker about your book. Uh, so this is this is your opportunity. Sure, and it's it's, it's very simple. Um, Once again, my book is Only Pack What You Can Carry, which is um, available as a hardcover or an e-book anywhere and everywhere. Um, And anyone who wants to get a hold of me or sign up for my updates, which come out um, usually once a month or whenever I get around to it, that's JaniceHollyBooth.com, J-A-N-I-C-E, H-O-L-L-Y-B-O-O-T-H.com, JaniceHollyBooth.com. And on that website, um, people can find any information they want, either about the book or about speaking opportunities. Um, The two keynote speeches that tend to be really popular are something I call Leadership Lessons from the Edge, which is ten of the most important life lessons I learned the hard way during that first foray into the canyons. Uh, It's pretty entertaining. And then the second one delves into those four key essentials that we talked about earlier, and that's also a popular one. But the information is up there on the website, JaniceHollyBooth.com. And that's my pitch. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, Janice Holly Booth, I want to thank you for being our guest today on Thanksgiving Day 2012. Uh, good luck in continued travels, and uh, good luck in all of your endeavors. I don't think you really need that much luck. I think you've got it pretty well planned out, and as long as you work your plan, you'll be in good shape, lady. Well, Pete, thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I agree. Time just flew, which is what happens when you're having fun. There you go. That's true. I have to. Uh, I have to agree with you on that. We have quite a bit of fun sometimes on this show, and before you know it, we look up and. Uh, We're right up against it as we are today. But thanks again for being my guest. Have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm going to give you a a quick phone call, but it will probably be on Friday uh, if you're going to be available uh, after after the holiday, uh, tomorrow rather, uh, because I'm going to be literally out of here and in the car and and off to my daughter's house as soon as we uh, complete this program. So thanks again, and I'll give you a shout probably tomorrow. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Janice. Take care now. Have a great holiday. Thanks. You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. And you've been listening to Janice Holly Booth, uh, expert traveler and author of the publish- publication uh, Only Pack What You Can Carry. Only Pack What You Can Carry. You can probably find her on Amazon. You could Google her, Janice Holly Booth, or Google Only Pack What You Can Carry. And uh, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. So with that, I'll say happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy your day with family and friends. I hope it's something that uh, will bring back good memories and hopefully plant some new memories for the future. Take care. Have a great day. We intend to. We'll be back again tomorrow and with more guests and more conversation. Thank you very much for listening on this Thanksgiving Day. Take care. where we bring interesting conversation to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.